0: In Matthew chapter 21, we'll be reading the first 11 verses. And we read as follows. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage toward the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of His disciples saying to them, Go into the village up ahead and there you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose her and bring her to Me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say... The Lord has need of them, and immediately He will send them. This all came to pass in fulfillment of what had been spoken by the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Having gone and done as Jesus ordered them, His disciples brought the donkey and the colt, they put their garments upon them, and Jesus sat upon them. Then the greater part of the crowd spread their garments in the road, and yet others were cutting down branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And the crowds, both going on before Him and following Him, were crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus having entered into the city, all of Jerusalem was moved, asking Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Almighty and ever-living God, in your tender love, For the human race, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon Himself our very nature, and to suffer death upon the cross, giving us this example of His great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of His suffering, and also share in His resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Today we enter Holy Week. This is the beginning of the end, so to speak. We are approaching... The final days of Lent. And as we do so, we approach a cross. Here, you know, it's interesting. We begin this season on Ash Wednesday with ashes imposed upon us in the form of a cross, being reminded not just of our Lord's death, but that we too shall one day die. That's how we begin. Lent. From dust you shall you have come and to dust you shall return. And we end Lent in the dull and gloomy reality that our Lord was buried in a tomb. This coming Saturday, stop and think of that. The One who created you. The Word of the Father. The One whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. The one who was in the beginning, his body was placed in a tomb. That's Holy Saturday. A day where we wait because our Lord has been crucified. and is dead. It's also interesting to note that uh, in addition to this tradition of imposing ashes uh, in the form of a cross on Ash Wednesday, those ashes traditionally have come from the dried palm branches of the previous Palm Sunday. So at the close of our service, We'll gather up these palm branches and we'll hold on to them. Let them dry out. Let all their life's blood be drained from them. And in a year, we'll burn them. And once again, we will see Ash Wednesday. I mentioned last week that we don't think how God thinks. And Palm Sunday is another reminder of that sobering fact. We simply do not think how God thinks. We see that in a baby and a donkey. It's not been very long since we celebrated Christmas. And already you've probably forgotten about it. God came to redeem us as a baby. Not as a grown man. But as a baby. Not even as a newborn baby, but as a baby in a womb. One who, within weeks of his miraculous conception, was able to hear from within that womb. The sounds and noises around him. God makes himself small for our sakes. Small. Think about it. He redeemed the entire world the cosmos. By making himself small. We think of influence as being, getting bigger. You know, you grow up, and as you grow up, you get taller. If you're a guy, you hope your voice will deepen a little bit. But all those things that happen that show that you're... big becoming bigger. You get more experience under your belt. You learn the ways of business a little more. You get a little bit more education. We think of influence as being the accumulation of stuff so that we can get bigger. And God redeems the world by making himself smaller. Smaller not just in the form of a baby, but also in the form of one who rides a donkey. You certainly don't need me to tell you that the donkey is not some glorious beast. Jesus rode in not on a stallion, not on some remarkable gold-plated chariot, not being carried by dozens of servants, but riding a broken-down old donkey along with her colt. I love that... um, the uh, the text doesn't refer, when it refers to the cult, it doesn't refer to the cult as being the foal of a donkey. It specifically uses a really odd word that literally means a beast of burden. The offspring of a beast of burden. In our Humble King enters into his royal city, Jerusalem, riding up Zion's hill, riding this donkey. I um, I use this in my um, own experience during. Palm Sunday each year, and so I, again, want to make it available to you. G.K. Chesterton's poem, The Donkey. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, Some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born, With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, The devils walk in parody on all four-footed things the tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will, starve, scourge, deride me, I am done. I keep my secret still. Fools, for I also had my hour, when far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. Our Lord, made Himself small and humble to redeem us. We don't think like He thinks. This one who became a baby... And this one who rode a donkey into the holy city of Jerusalem on that first Sunday of Palms is the one lone figure who has had the greatest impact on all of human history. Wars have been started in His name. Treaties have been signed in his name. Debates. Endless books. He's had the single greatest influence. We still date our calendars according to a faulty reading of when he was born the motive was there the intentions were good he's the one figure that no one can ultimately escape someone everyone has an opinion about this man jesus and yet he made himself small for us We don't think how God thinks, and we see that also in a garden and a cross. We, If we were to skip our eyes ahead a few days, we would find ourselves at Maundy Thursday. And we're reminded that Jesus spent that last night with His disciples, the night on which He was betrayed, celebrating the Passover washing his disciples' feet, instituting the Lord's Supper. And then he ended that night in a garden, Gethsemane. And our Lord wept. Wept at the cup that lay before him. In fact, he pleaded with the Father, if there's any way this can not be the case, if there's any other way we can redeem these people, please keep me from tasting this cup. And yet, he ended his prayer, not what I will, Father, but what you will. It's hard to get to that place in life where we don't want what we want. Where we trust God enough to say, I know what I want and I know that's probably not what I need, therefore, that's not what I want. But that night that ended... In a garden. With Jesus' arrest. Brought the next day. Where he was mocked. And ridiculed. Tortured. And nailed on a cross. You remember the cross was what. Caused Peter to cry out. It will never happen to you Lord. God forbid it. Not on my life. We don't like the cross. If we like the cross, we like a nice pretty one. Certainly a clean one. One with no Savior on it. Maybe one imprinted with, He is risen. Because we don't like to stop at the cross and think about the death of our Lord. We want to quickly move beyond it. We want to get to the Easter eggs, the Easter baskets, with the fake grass that's worse than Christmas tinsel. Because we don't like the cross. at least not the bloody kind, with a Jewish man nailed to it. We don't think how God thinks And we see that in a temple, in a tomb. In Matthew chapter 21, immediately following the passage we've just read, we read of Jesus entering into the temple and cleansing the temple. And we're reminded that that's the whole purpose for His coming, was to cleanse the temple of the heart. To make us clean. To rid us of our filthiness. To rid us of that which is repulsive to the Father. He came to turn over tables. To cause a ruckus. To mix things up a bit. To shake up our worlds. To shout at us. Don't forget, when Jesus cleansed the temple, it was wild. He, wa- he was not... I-, I-, I honestly think most of us, myself included, we often fall into that, um, that uh, uh, problem because it's not biblical. That problem of thinking that the cleansing of the temple must have been really kind of modest, and pol- Jesus was politely going up and asking the money changers, "You mind putting this up, and we'll, you know, do things a bit differently? We'll talk later. We'll have a committee meeting about it. You guys mind folding up the tables and kind of getting them out of the foyer here? It's just it's kind of unbecoming." He made a whip and was beating the floor with that whip, shouting as he walked from one end to the other, himself flipping over tables, knocking down bird cages, animals running everywhere, birds flying everywhere, people screaming in anger, gold and silver pieces hitting the floor, a stone floor, We hear the shouts of Hosanna as palm branches were laid before Jesus' feet. And we hear the shouts of Hosanna which in days would become shouts of crucify Him. And not just crucify Him, but if you're going to let a prisoner go, make sure He's not the one. Let go Barabbas. We hear those shouts. And we too often miss the fact that in our Lord's passion, God is shouting into our lives. Shouting the word of redemption. Shouting the word of healing. he came he came to turn over the tables in our lives that need turning to mess up that which needs messing up so that he might put it back together and make it right and he does that not just in the cold stony hall of a temple But in the cold, stony chambers of a rich man's tomb, a borrowed tomb, he was laid in that tomb by a Pharisee and a man with a lot of money. And on Easter Sunday morning when some of the ladies got together their spices and ointments and went to that tomb to care for his dead body they found that this one who had cleansed the temple had also cleansed the grave. They found not him there, but the claws which, which with which he had been bound. It is in death that God gives us life. That's not in some weird romantic um, Edgar Allan Poe sort of weird way of glorifying death. God absorbs in his son's death all of death's nastiness, all of death's hatred, all of death's pain and loss. He absorbs it into Himself. So that He might trade His life for our death. Theologians over the centuries have debated... If God wanted to, could He have redeemed the world in another way? I don't know, perhaps. that's that's very speculative. The fact is that God has seen fit to redeem the world how He saw fit to redeem the world. And in order to share in the redemption that is offered us, you and I must do as the psalmist said, and kiss the Son. You and I must embrace this one who bled and died for us. This one who was born as a baby, this one who rode a donkey, this one who wept in a garden and begged for a way out. This one who ultimately said, I will do what it takes to redeem the world. This one who cleansed the temple and cleanses the temple of our hearts. This one who died on a cross so that He might rise again and give us new life. We must embrace Him. As He is, not as we wished He would be, not as we think He probably ought to have been, but as He is. One who still... Bears the wounds and his scars. Will we embrace him? When the crowds cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord, they were singing, they were singing a line from the Psalmist in Psalm one eighteen. We, um, we are familiar with the verses the day the Lord is made we will rejoice and be glad in it and we often use it as maybe our Facebook status update or the bumper sticker on our car and we forget that when the psalmist made that statement he was speaking of the cross of Jesus hear what the psalmist says In Psalm 118, beginning at verse 19, he says, "'Open to me the gate of righteousness, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me, and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes.' This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and He has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Hosanna, save us. Let's pray.